Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. One fifty, nothing personal. Word of the day for Tuesday, February fifteenth, two thousand and twenty-two, is one hundred and fifty. It is amazing the way Jeff Passan of ESPN can tweet something, and if you don't follow him, you could follow me at David P. Sampson. It's just as just as good. Jeff Passan gets this information and then sends out a tweet about minor league players and what the owners are trying to do, and all of a sudden people are up in arms. The owners are demanding a cut of minor league jobs. First, they don't pay them enough. Then they get rid of 40 teams. And now on top of that, they're only allowing 150 players per organization when they used to have 180. 30 jobs are now lost. Comments here, comments there. Owners, you stink. I've been very, very impartial during this lockout because I'm nothing personal. I don't, I'm not going back into baseball. I don't need to suck at the teat of Rob Manfred anymore at all or Bud or any of the other owners, nor do I have to worry or bother about Scott Boras or any of the other agents or any players. I want to give you what's happening, and then you decide. But let's at least give you the facts, Jack. How many teams do you think currently have more than – 180 minor league players. A smattering, one or two. How many teams have below 150 players right now? Smattering, one or two, three or four. Do you know why there's an agreement as to the number of minor league players? Because last year during COVID, all the teams, when you're running a team, look at what happened with the Marlins in 2020. All of a sudden, your entire team got COVID. And back then, there were 14-day quarantines. Michael Hill, who currently is the VP of on-field or executive VP, or I don't even know his title, of on-field operations for MLB after Jeter jettisoned him. Way to go, Bruce Sherman, allowing Mike Hill to go. Do you know that Mike Hill was signing people out of all different leagues, independent leagues, penal leagues, beer leagues, high school leagues, anywhere he could find, bringing them to the major leagues, so they could play. Remember, there was no minor leagues going on, so you had this taxi squad. You had these camps that were going on where you could bring players from the camp, etc. So MLB said, you know, we need as many players as possible. That's what GM said. But the bottom line is, when you are operating a team, you heard me talk about it on Nothing Personal myriad times. The majority of minor leaguers are never going to be major league players. They are there as filler. Like the last picks in the playground that we used to talk about. 
They're there taking up space in order for there to be nine-on-nine, 25, 26-man rosters, four major league teams, five, let's say, four to five, but really you only need four, but just say low A, high A, double A, triple A, add a Dominican team in there, sort of a winter league team, if you will. Let's say you're at 25, that's 125 players, you keep extra around. To me, 150, 160 was always a good number. This issue is not exactly the way you are understanding it to be. Major League Baseball is not telling the union that they are going to make all 30 teams have 150 players. They are asking the union for the right to go to 150 players, which right now they have no plan to do, but they may at some point. This is a non-issue, not just for 2022, likely not for 2023, likely not for any of the five years of this collective bargaining agreement. And the reason why it's a non-issue, news alert, the players don't give a flying rat's pituitary gland about this issue, and neither do the owners. This concept of figuring out what the right number of minor leaguers to have in an organization is a developing concept. I've been doing it for 20 years, talking to my minor league player development people. Why are we drafting 40 people? Hey, let's have a 10-round draft. This year, they're agreeing to a 20-round draft. That's 20 players who we're going to sign, we're going to put in the minor leagues, knowing that maybe half of them are going to be major leaguers. But trying to figure out the right balance of how many minor league teams, how many affiliated teams, how many players per team, who's getting the opportunities that we need to give them to develop into major leaguers, because here is why we have the minor leagues. I'm sorry to all the cities out there, but as a team president, the minor leagues are meant to develop players to become major leaguers. Everybody who thinks that executives get excited about having the number one, number one wanked, <laughs> All right, Coca, 4869. The number of team presidents and GMs who get excited about having the number one ranked minor league system is zero. There are some who say they do publicly because, of course, they don't want you to see that their major league team stinks, so they want you to have hope and faith that their minor leaguers are coming up soon because their minor leaguers are the top ranked. We all have minor league teams to figure out which of the players who we scouted are being developed in a manner that will get them to the big leagues to produce as much as possible before they get expensive. That's what the minor leagues are for. That's what all 30 teams use the minor leagues for. The right number of players to have around, is it 150, 160, 170, 180? That's a wait to see. But what we do know is that there's Nothing worse than giving at-bats to a player who's not going to be a major leaguer or innings to a pitcher who's not developing into a major leaguer. Now, you've got 30th round picks who are saying, well, if there's only 20 rounds in the draft, I never would have been drafted. Well, then you would have had to go prove yourself at an unaffiliated team or try to be signed as a minor league free agent, then kick some serious ass, be good, get better, and then you'll get attention, then you'll get signed, then you'll have a career. Because if you're the number 10 pick, the 10th round pick, and you get a couple shekels, and you're not good, you'll get extra chances, and then you'll be jettisoned. So the argument that all of these pearls like Albert Pujols or Mike Piazza would not have been major leaguers but for having so many players around, it's just not accurate.
the days of hiding Vladimir Guerrero in a closet like they did in Montreal before I got there to make sure that he would sign as an expo. And they basically lied to everyone about his age. They hit him so no one could scout him. And then they signed him when he turned eight, but then didn't do it officially till he turned 16. All of the shenanigans that go on, not just internationally, but in the minor leagues, are all because teams are looking to gain an advantage to find the best, most efficient, fastest, cheapest way to get the most players major league ready. I'm coming back to the beginning. The object of the game is to win games on the major league side. And all of the adjustments that you see in, whether it's development, scouting, even provisions in the collective bargain agreement, are all done because of the experience we have in running teams and trying to run those teams as efficiently as possible. I hear the critics. I hear you. You're billionaire owners. Why should you be efficient? And I reiterate to you, for all of you who work in business, is it not your job to increase your profit margin? Is it not your job to operate your business more efficiently? Do you not appreciate when changes are made in the businesses where you are a consumer of that business, when those businesses are more efficient? Do you not get frustrated when businesses that you interact with are not efficient? Do you not love to see prices increase at a lesser rate than inflation because of efficiencies that come from, whether it's cutting jobs, manufacturing plants in different places, combining plants, combining business circles? Everything that's done in this world, forget this country, forget your state, forget the city, forget your business, everything is based on that efficiency meter. Major League Baseball teams are the same. I understand that they're public and you feel that you've got a say in what they are and you have the right to be so angry. You just want these players to play and get paid and you get upset when you hear minor leaguers don't get paid enough because you think that owners are being cheap and then you get upset when owners sell teams for a lot of money or don't sell teams or try to buy teams and then can't buy teams and then do buy teams then you don't like the color, then you want a different color, then you get a different color, then you want winning when you don't get winning, then you want a firing. We get it. It's never going to be enough, which is why winning a PR battle for owners during this lockout is going to be dicey. As a matter of fact, if you asked any owner out there, they would say, and we've talked about this inside the commissioner's office so many times, hey, if we like get a 50% approval rating, we're going to take that and go to the bank with it. Players say the same thing. As a matter of fact, it is leaks like this that are done for the sole purpose of eliciting sympathy for players. Well, I've got a newsflash. Don't be sympathetic to players over the size of the minor league system. Why? Because it's a fagazi. The players, all 1,200 of them, which are 40 people per roster, 40 times 30 is 1,200, the total number of players who care about the number of 180 versus 170 versus 160 is, wait for it, zero. And the reason that they don't care about it is not just they have bigger fish to fry, which they do in this agreement. 
It's that the only reason it's in this agreement to begin with is the owners want to put as much into the agreement as possible, which is what you always want to do in collective bargaining, so that when things happen down the line, you don't have to reopen the deal or redo or re-engage because there's been an agreement. If you can get everything done now, you're ready locked out, why not get it done? And all the owners wanted is the flexibility to go below 180. The flexibility. 180 is already an inflated number. Why does this get leaked and why is this reported on a random Monday? Well, that's an easy one to tell you. On Saturday, the day before the Super Bowl, MLB had a meeting with the Players Union. They presented the union with a 130-page agreement, a fully baked agreement. Really, it's probably an MOU, not a full agreement because the collective bargaining agreement is like three inches thick. It's like Chicago deep dish style pizza thick. So 130 pages doesn't quite cut it. We used to carry it around. Before it was electronic, I know you've heard this, Coca, we used to carry around the CBA and the rule book with us to every road game. We'd have it in the suite for every home game. We'd also have the media guides for every team and there'd be an intern who would have to put the media guide for the team we were playing in the suite where we were watching the game because we'd be looking, who the hell's number 69? So we'd have the media guide. Now, of course, everything's electronic so you just need your iPad or your laptop. Anyway, so 130 pages. It's introduced to the players. The players look at it. They say, thanks for the meeting. What were the big moves that the owners made that Rob Manford promised in his Thursday press conference after the owners' meeting? What were the big moves? Well, they moved CBT. That's the, are you, do you know what that is? Have you ever heard of luxury tax? As a fan, are you all engaged? Are you really interested in whether or not the luxury tax threshold is 245 or 218 or 220 or 222 or 234? Tell me what, why that interests you. I've always wanted to know that. Is that because you believe that your team only spends up to that number because it serves as a salary cap? And so for the six teams that spent up to that number but didn't go over it and didn't win the World Series because they're not the Braves, you say, man, our owner is cheap. That guy's not trying to win. His payroll was only 226. If he had just signed a guy and gone to 228, bing, bang, boom, we got ourselves a parade. Really? Or are you upset that there's not enough penalties and the owners want more penalties, but the players want fewer penalties and you're saying, hey, if you go over, let's not have any penalties because if there are monetary penalties, then that makes it hugely expensive. By the way, I love the NBA, you're telling people, and there's a salary cap in the NBA. There's no real salary cap in Major League Baseball, but do you know that if you go over the salary cap in basketball, you have to pay a tax that almost matches dollar for dollar? Wow, we just had a trade deadline in the NBA. Is everybody up in arms? Are you all upset about the Celtics who traded Minute Bowl Bowl in order to help ease their tax burden, or every time the Heat trade a player to get back under the luxury tax? Are you upset with Mickey Arison and Pat Riley, who were by far the most successful owner-president combination in Miami South Florida sports history, present company included? Are you upset because they make financially prudent moves to jettison players away, even when they're friends of LeBron that gets them under the luxury tax? Do you still accuse him of not trying to win? But you must love Steve Ross who spends all that money, gets right up, up into that cap, finds a way, hires four people to circumvent it, rearrange different contracts, 
move people out to the future, do this, do that, so they can spend more money, but then they still suck and you hate them anyway? So I'm just spitballing here. What is it that fans are interested in? I get it. We want games. We don't want to be bothered with the public back and forth. We want there to be an agreement so we can have a season. Well, guess what? There will be a season. But I asked you when this started on December 2nd not to subject yourself to the roller coaster because I told you that there was going to be a PR battle between owners and players. I told you there were going to be leaks. I told you that players were going to come out. They were going to give statements. Owners were going to come out, and I'm surprised they have not come out directly, but they certainly have come out through articles that have been written. You saw Jim Bowden's article yesterday in The Athletic. That is an article that very clearly spelled out from the owner's standpoint, their point of view. You've seen articles that have come out that very well spell out what the player's point of view is. Are you interested or are you a consequentialist? Do you just say, hey, there's a pool for pre-arbitration players and I keep reading that the players won 105 million and then they went to 100. The owners offered 10 and they went to 15. They're moving the same 5 million as the players moved. Why can't you guys just take 15 and 100? That's, and then split the difference. What's the difference of 85 divided by two is 42 and a half. Take 42 and a half plus 15, boom, 57 and a half. We split the baby. That's why you're not in the business of negotiating. Because when you have a split the difference mentality, and you know your adversary has that, let me give you a word of advice if you're negotiating a salary. If you know that your boss is a split-the-baby kind of guy, gal, or them, and you want to get paid 80 grand, ask for 180 grand. And he'll say, ooh, how about 40 grand? And you'll say, wait a minute. I'll take the difference. We'll split it. 110. Deal, deal, deal. Christ, I thought I was getting 80. Now I'm getting a buck 10. Do you get what I'm saying? Coca, you with me? When you negotiate your next contract, wherever your next contract may be, and they offer you a number, you offer a higher number, and then boom, you split it if you know that's what they do. On the other hand, if you know that you're negotiating with someone who doesn't engage in splitting, then you have to be more reasonable. So then let me tell you what else happened on Saturday. There was a conversation between the parties about the calendar. Are you interested in the calendar? That to me should be your biggest point of contention right now. It should not be whether or not the luxury tax threshold goes from 218 to 220 to 222. 222. It should not be whether or not there's a change in revenue sharing or whether players have to show up at the All-Star game or not. It should be the number of minor league players. No, I'm just kidding. That shouldn't be your concern either. How about the calendar? The calendar means at what point are we missing games? And I don't mean spring training games. With all due respect to Florida and Arizona and all the people who travel and say I take my annual trip every year and I go to see my team play in Arizona because I get autographs, I'm close to the players, and I've made the reservations and I can't change them. Well, it's not like you didn't know the lockout was coming. There will be spring training games in Arizona and Florida. If you can be flexible, I would either buy the refundable ticket or see if you can change with a doctor's note. But I have news for you. Owners and players are not concerned about spring training games and whether they start on time. 
That's not the calendar decision. The calendar decision and discussion is based on March 31st. March 31st is opening day. Opening day means gate revenue, broadcast revenue, player payroll. Player payroll? That sounds like an expense. Oh, yeah. That means that's revenue for players, salary, expense for owners. Ooh, if there's no game, then they don't have the expense of payroll. Ah, but then they don't have the revenue of broadcasting their games on TV or you going to games. Full capacity, beer, hot dogs, hats, shirts. Hmm. Let's do some math here. Yes, owners want games in front of full attendance. Now, do you want to know another little dirty secret in baseball? And the players know it. And the owners know it. And now you own it. Do you know what the worst month for attendance is? Just guess. Just guess for me. April. The weather stinks. Kids are still in school. And after opening day, it goes, and I don't mean like Montreal where there's 59,000 people and then 3,000 people. Sometimes in Florida, it was sold out and then back to 10 grand. But take a look at attendance for all these teams on opening day and then look at game two, game three, game four. Do you know we are given a schedule questionnaire years in advance and we fill out the same thing every time like every other team? We would like to be on the road as much as possible in April. Well, when 30 teams say that, guess what? Only 15 get their wish. Then we put a roof on the ballpark in Miami, and that was the end of that. Because when there's a roof, that means the weather's going to be good. That means guaranteed games, no rainouts. That means more games in April. Still, it was worth it to get the roof, wasn't it? Yes, it was, Miami. You know it. Come on. So if games are missed in April, you're not getting as much gate revenue or food or beverage or merchandise. Now, it's equal for the broadcast revenue. That's true. But the national broadcast revenue, that doesn't kick in really. The majority is the postseason. The overwhelming majority is October. So that's not a worry. And you don't have to pay players. Hmm. If the players are thinking that the owners are going to cave in order to start the season on time, March 31st, not going to happen. Now, will players cave? Because that's what owners are thinking. Because they don't want to miss a paycheck. Well, do you know how it works? You get paid every two weeks. So they could miss the first two weeks. That'd be missing one out of their 12 paychecks. Ah, but that's not how it works, is it? It's based on games. Ah, I got it now. Are you saying that there could be a collective bargain agreement that both sides agree to where games start April 15th or May 1st, where the season's only 140 games, but the players get their full salaries? Epic. And then the owners have no April games, and by the time October comes, there's no issue at all, and the owners are happy with where the CBA ends up because they don't have to give a lot back to the players, and the players are okay because they didn't miss any money, and they got a few victories along the way, not one of which is about the number of minor league players in the system. <gasps> Could that be the solution? Yes! That's exactly what I told you was going to happen. So why are you getting so worked up over all of the stops and starts and fits? Why are you saying the owners made a big proposal on Saturday? Well, guess what? Why did it take them so long? Well, the players have now had it for 72 hours. Why aren't they responding? They're responding by throwing out there that they're upset about the 180 players in the minor league system. They're FOS. You know what that stands for. 
if the players really want to make a deal and they're serious about getting a deal done in order to have a season that starts on time, they would counter offer, they would sit at the table, and they would sit there and get it done. It doesn't mean the owners are done making proposals, what they gave on Saturday. It doesn't mean they're not going to move more toward the players in the areas of core economic issues that'll bore you to tears. The players know that. The owners know that. But I'll tell you what one side will not do in a negotiating session, because if you do that, guess what? You're a moron. You don't negotiate against yourself. There are many parts of this collective bargaining negotiation where the players have not moved enough, where the owners have not moved enough. And therefore, if those are all the subjects, then why would there be new proposals on those subjects? Because you'd be, wait for it, negotiating against yourself. So what do we do? We wait for that Rob Manford breakthrough. We wait for the players and Bruce Meyer, who I have no indication has any interest in anything other than a complete victory for the players, even if it means sitting out a season. But eventually the players are going to start ignoring Bruce because they're going to realize that he's in it for himself. The commissioner, whether you think he's a fan of baseball, whether you think he misspeaks at press conferences, whether you think that he talked about the commissioner's trophy as a piece of metal, whatever I've read out there about Rob Manford, not a fan of the game, just a labor lawyer, doesn't care. Everyone who's saying that doesn't know him. Just because you may not be perfect in front of a microphone doesn't mean you are not a lover of the game and good at your job. Do you know the best way to be a good commissioner? Do you know what his job description is? Bud Selig taught me early on in my career what the job description was for the commissioner. It was to increase the value of the assets, the 30 teams, while stewarding the greatest game in the nation to greater and greater heights with more and more cities having the hope and faith that spring can bring. That's the job of the commissioner. In that order, the job of the owners, it's to get out of the way once they put a group of people together who can give their professional expertise about winning baseball games. What's the player's job? To make as much money as they can in the, their career, which albeit will be shorter than most, but longer than 99.99% of the people would like it to be, to maximize the amount of money they make in the shortest period of time. And, if possible, make a legacy by winning games. And a few community appearances, maybe some international trips. Everyone has an agenda. Everyone has a point of view. Fans, players, owners. Try not to get it mixed up. So when you read about things that are going on with this agreement, try to realize that here on Nothing Personal we told you, just sort of look at it with one eye closed and wait for the owners and players to get their deal done, which they will. There will be games. There will be a complete season, whatever the number of games are. There will be a perfect postseason, and then we won't have to think about this for another five years. It's sort of like when a guy is elected president, you don't want to be president. You sort of are like, God damn it. But then you realize, hey, it's only two years to the midterms. And then you say, hey, it's almost time for re-election. That's sort of what it's like with collective bargaining. A deal will get done. If one side is not happy, there will be an opportunity soon enough to make it better. 
There's a couple other things going on in Major League Baseball right now. And uh, I just wanted to point them out because they also got some attention, and you may have missed it. And if you did, I would like to bring it up to you. Number one is the Chicago White Sox and Jerry Reinsdorf, who is their owner, made a decision to, over the weekend that they were going to require all their minor leaguers to be vaccinated. And there was some level of criticism against them because it's such a political issue, right? If you think Jerry Reinsdorf is the number one liberal of all time, that's funny, actually. But the reason why companies have the right is because they're private companies and they're not violating anybody's constitutional rights. And if you want to work for the Chicago White Sox, you have to be vaccinated. That's it. It's that simple. It makes perfect sense for the minor leaguers to be vaccinated because you don't want any of them to get COVID. You don't want any of them to miss time because any sort of missed time, any sort of sickness impedes development. Okay. So the White Sox are requiring vaccinations. I'm, you know what, Coca? Can we do one extra wait to see on this, if you don't mind? Because uh, we've got a wait to see coming up later in the show, I believe. But the wait to see extra is that the White Sox will not be the last team to require their minor leaguers to be vaccinated. They were the first, but they will not be the last, if you don't mind putting that into the document. Okay. The other thing that I want to catch you up in baseball is a bit of a little legal issue, but I'm going to make it very, very simple. There's been litigation going on since I was in the game. God, what year was the Sen litigation started? That is for minor league pay. I'm trying to remember when it was. God, it was five years ago, eight years ago, 2016 maybe. Much like litigation outside of baseball, there are things that go on when something is going to trial. There is discovery. There are depositions. There are filings that you make with the court. There are briefs that are written and that are submitted. There are rulings that are made. All of that is in preparation of a case to go to trial, which doesn't mean it's not going to settle before then. It just means that you are that you are getting ready for a trial. There are firms who spend their life, they're litigation firms, who bill millions and millions of dollars in litigation prep, it's called. But they actually don't try any cases. They just prepare to try them and then they wait for a settlement to happen. So when you read anything that comes out of, whether it's agents or whether it's different writers who are focused on any sort of minor league pay issues or any sort of minor league, oh, they don't get enough, it's terrible, their circumstances, etc. just know that MLB has no choice. It was March of 16, thank you, Coca. That was a pretty good guess. So it's been six years. That's how long it takes. What a system we have. Can we do a little detour? How about our legal system, huh? Where you know that you are the underdog and that you are going to be subject to not a chance of winning a litigation against rich, powerful people because they've got the money just to make you poor before you get a chance to even go to trial, before you even get a chance to make a settlement. They'll put so many papers in front of you and so many motions and so many depositions and so many interrogatories that you'll have to hire someone and then you hope to hire someone on contingency but then the lawyer says I can't be on contingency because this is going to be six years and the likelihood of winning is so de minimis that I frankly need to get paid something right now and you say well, I don't really have money but I think I'm going to have money because I've been harmed anybody can sue anybody and it takes forever to get rid of it anyway sorry for that detour okay next 
Coco wanted me to bring up something, and before we go to break, I wanted to bring it up. And uh, I understand why he thinks this, and I think that he speaks. One of the reasons why Coco and I are such a good team is that he knows what you're thinking in a lot of ways better than I do. I try to give you what I think you're thinking, and Coco will just tell me before or after a show that I'm completely wrong or right. So he wants me to talk to you about Dwayne The Rock Johnson and his tight purple T-shirt and rip-away stripper pants from the Super Bowl and his new investment in the XFL and the new league of the USFL. And he wanted me to remind you that those are competitors to the NFL. Some people view them as minor league teams for the NFL. Some people view colleges now as minor league teams for the NFL. In basketball, there's a minor leagues. It's called the G League, the Developmental League. In baseball, the minor leagues are teams that are affiliated with the teams. Basketball, you have affiliated G League teams. Let me ask you this. Would you all be up in arms, he said, and this is going back to how we started the word of the day of 150, if it was announced that the XFL was shutting down or the USFL was going out of business again? Or the G League was not going to have 30 teams. It was going to only have 15 teams. And the number of players in each team was going to be 8, not 12 or 15. Would you say, oh my God, how could the NBA owners do this? How mean of them to cut jobs. I get what you're saying, Coca. And it's always been a problem for us at MLB. There's a dollar that I lost. I give a dollar every time I say we when I'm talking about MLB, because it was a we for so much of my life. It's a they. It's a straight they for now. How many times was it discussed when I was around? The amount of money that we spent that no one paid attention to on minor leagues and on developing players. I viewed it like R&D when I would explain it to the owner when I was doing budgets every year. I would say, look at the companies, and they do research and development all the time. That is a whole line item in the budget. They've got scientists. They're coming up with different products, half of which are never going to work, some of which will do very well, most of which will be on the fringe at best. Research and development. A new shampoo to get rid of dandruff. Ah, didn't get rid of it. All right, on to the next. A new perfume that smells like Kanye. That's ah, pretty good. It's the same thing as the minor leagues. It's development. It's research. Would you be upset if we did less research, more research? Anyway, don't worry, everybody. Okay, I got to take a break right now because I got to review a movie that I'm going to ask everyone to see, even though it's in a theater, and this makes two in a row. I told you I did the double feature Saturday. We will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name's David Sampson. The word of the day today was 150. Thank you for rating, reviewing, following, all the things you do to make Nothing Personal grow. We have, last week was a record week for Nothing Personal. And last month was a record month. And February may be a record too. It's because of you. So I appreciate you. Coco appreciates you, but I appreciate you more. Keep telling your friends about it. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. So I still watch a movie every day. Even though I did a double feature, I watched two Saturday. I got to review a movie that is nominated not just for best foreign language film, best international feature, I think they call it. Also, best screenplay. It is a movie called Worst Person in the World. I saw a preview for Worst Person in the World when I was in a theater scene, House of Gucci, and it was told to me, I didn't know it was going to be award-winning at the time. It had all sorts of film festival cred, but I had no idea we'd get this type of Academy Award love. Best romantic comedy in decades. Greatest movie about romance ever. I thought this was like Notting Hill. Or like, marry me. So I go into the theater, and I know very well that it's not in English. It is subtitles. It's in Norwegian. Or is that in Danish? Uh Uh-oh, Coca. Help me, Rhonda. Help, help me, Rhonda. Help me. Is it, is the language? Oh, my God. I am showing such ignorance at the moment that I am despondent. I'm stopping the show until Coca gets in my ear. Do they speak Danish? Or is it Norwegian? What language is worst person in the world in? It is Norwegian? Thank you. Okay. Wait. Oh, is Danish Denmark? (laughs) I swear to God, we do this show 45 minutes for you every single day. I swear to you. And we just start. We do a pre-show. And then I talk for 45 minutes. Coca doesn't edit it because we want you to see that I'm just a normal guy. And we're doing a normal show trying to come to you with funny stuff, interesting stuff, where you can be entertained, educated, five days a week on nothing personal. Anyway, Renata Rainsvay, stars and worst person in the world. Guess what? She's not the worst person in the world. And it's not a romantic comedy. It is a movie about a woman who is willing not to fall trappings, that was really not said well. Two, four, six, nine, wipe it, coca, here we go. Renata Rainsvay stars in Worst Person in the World, and she's not the worst person in the world at all. She plays a woman who thinks she's going to be a doctor, then wants to be a photographer, isn't sure if she wants to date this man or that man or this guy or that guy, goes from relationship to relationship with sometimes reckless indifference. Does that make her the worst person in the world? Or does it show that women can be just like men? Women cannot know what they want, who they want, or how it's going to look. Women can be scared of their future or embrace their future and ignore their past or embrace their past and ignore their future. Women can be strong. Women can be in charge of a relationship. Women can be emotional or not emotional. Women can walk around without a shirt or with a shirt. I found this to be one of the most female empowering movies I have seen since 
Sally Field in a movie that is escaping me. Norma Ray. I think I've seen other female empowerment movies since then. Maybe League of Their Own. There's a million of them. I'm joking. The point is this. Worst person in the world is worthy of Academy Awards for international feature and for screenplay. It is brilliantly written, unbelievably acted by this woman who's never acted before. But it's not a romantic comedy. There are smiles. But if you look deeper into what this screenplay is about, it's about the power of women. Worst Person in the World is one of the top 20 movies I have seen this year for sure. It could have gotten a Best Picture nomination. That's how good it was. Will it make my top 100? At the end of the Academy Awards, I'm going to relook at my top 100 list, probably redo it, put some in, take some out. Will this make my top 100? I don't think so, but it certainly is a must-see movie. Worst Person in the World. All right, nothing personal pick of the day. Did you have the Bulls four and a half over the Spurs? Well, it went off at three. There was some level of panic, wasn't there? Who wasn't playing? Who had a knee injury? Was it Rosen? Was it Zach? Were the Spurs going to find a way to win? The Spurs were winning the whole game. Oh, no, I'm going to lose my pick. Nope. The Bulls won by, I don't know, 12, 13. Bulls covered were 22 and 16. Well, we got a big one tonight, national television. Are you watching? Because I am. Sixers, Celtics. Could this be an Eastern Conference Finals preview? Well, I think the Heat and the Bucks would have something to say about that. But the Sixers, Celtics, two of the top four or five teams. James Harden, not playing till after the All-Star break, which is, by the way, coming up very soon. It may even be this weekend. When's the All-Star game? Is it February 19th? Is it this weekend, Coca? Because I got news for you. That makes me laugh. Because the Sixers announced in some sort of, it's February 20th, thank you, Coca, announced in some sort of announcement, announcements, 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 horrible way to die, a horrible way to die. That's for my camp. Shout out to Camp Interlock in Eagle River, Wisconsin. Day is done. James Harden's not playing till after the All-Star break. He really did have a bad hamstring. It's not that he wouldn't play for the Nets, we promise. He doesn't really know the plays. I guess he could play because we don't have that many plays. I think we're going to be okay because he didn't want to play in the All-Star game. And if he came back, he'd have to play in the All-Star game and see Kevin Durant. Now he doesn't have to go because he still has a bad hamstring. It'll all be okay. Go Sixers. Congrats, Emily. Sixers plus one and a half over the Celtics. That's our play. Joel Embiid, MVP frontrunner, is getting one and a half points. Getting? Do I have that wrong, Coca? Can we do a quick check if you don't mind? I'm going to check it live right now on DraftKings. And it is Sixers getting one and a half at home. Yeah. Nothing personal pick of the day. All right. I think we end with this, Coca, if that's okay. There's something that came out about the Super Bowl, and I want to just tell everyone quickly what that is. You know what I want? I want to talk to Samson. It's so much stuff I want to get through, but when you ask a question, so you want to talk to Samson, comes from the movie Half-Baked. That is when you 
ask me a question in my Twitter, David P. Sampson. Hit follow, please, because I'm still like 1.97 million away from Darren Ravel. How is that possible? I'm just asking. I got to post more ticket stubs and more pictures of nachos, I guess. I'm just kidding, Darren. I love you. But come on, 1.97? Well, it's 1.969, I guess. But anyway, so you want to talk to Samson comes from the movie Half-Baked. There's a character named Samson. And you said, would the NFL actually play a Super Bowl in London? Rumors say that Tottenham could host in 2026. What are your thoughts? And hello, David. Hello. Did you read about that? The Super Bowl is going to Glendale, Arizona next year. Then it's going to New Orleans. Then it's going to Vegas or Vegas, New Orleans. Anyway, the next three, Arizona, Louisiana, and Nevada. That means 23, 24, 25. Ah, there's nobody for 2026. Hmm. What about if we go to London? Will that make cities bid even more to make sure it stays in the United States? No. Then why would the NFL want a Super Bowl in London? Oh, God, I understand. Wake up, everybody. Smell the hot tea, which you can't smell if you've lost your taste and smell because of COVID on January 20th, 2021. And now you basically can only smell farts at best. The NFL wants to move a team to London full-time. The NFL wants that team to be hugely successful and have a huge international presence in not just England, but also Germany. They're going to play games in Germany this coming season. They're trying to develop multiple European markets so when the U.S. teams go over there, they can play multiple games. Wait a minute. Bringing a Super Bowl to London would add 62,000 crazed fans. You'd have 32 owners who are willing to take their private jet. What does it matter if you fly five hours to London or five hours to California, IA? Now, the weather's not good in January. And by the way, there's no roof on that stadium. That could be an issue. But it makes perfect sense to have a Super Bowl outside of the country. Believe me, if baseball thought they could do some sort of games internationally, better than just a series during the regular season, they would do it. If the NBA thought they could play meaningful games in China and not have to deal with Daryl Morey or any of the issues surrounding LeBron James, believe me, they would do it. Is there an issue with the roof? As Coca told me preparing for this, he said, by the way, David, don't forget, it's like Dolphin Stadium. There's no roof, but the fans are covered. But the players would get soaked. Tottenham's had two straight games, he told me, because he loves them, in downpours. Is that a risk in January in London? It's a risk in February in London, and March, and April, and May, and June, and July, and August, September, October, November, December. That's right. If you're going to go to London and you're going to play, that's one thing you have to be ready for is a play in the rain. Is that okay? Yeah. You know why? It's pretty simple, folks. Because whether the players get wet or not has absolutely zero to do with the amount of money that football would make by having a Super Bowl in London. Do I think it is possible that the NFL would actually play a Super Bowl in London? You bet your sweet nipples I do. Of course they want to be first. And here's a shock for you. They're going to be first. That little trial balloon that you saw out there about Tottenham hosting a Super Bowl, that means it's on the horizon. On your marks, get set, run to the money. You know why. 
It's just business. We'll be back in the U.S. the year after, I promise. It's nothing personal. 